Hey there, thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure you stay up to date on all things the cross. So please head over to our website, thecross.family. Here is where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Okay, here's the latest message from the cross church. Alrighty, so we are continuing our journey through the book of Acts, and uh, I know that many of you are reading through this incredible book by yourselves. I know that many of us are actually doing it in the context of a Bible study. So as a church, we have been on a real mission, and then obviously on Sundays, we are tackling it as well. Every week as I read through the portions of Scripture that are sort of the next allotted portions in the series, I am more challenged than the week before. What is amazing about the book of Acts is it forces us to take a look at ourselves. There is no way you can read the book of Acts and you can read what discipleship looks like and how the church is influenced by these men. It's impossible to read it and to not take a look at yourself. One of the things that I find so interesting about the book of Acts, and we're going to touch on this a little bit today, is that you cannot separate the life of the church from the lives of the apostles. Have you noticed that? Can't separate the two. It's not like on the one hand here, you've got Paul the apostle and all hell is breaking loose in his life. And then on the other hand here, you've got the church and it's just hunky-dory and everything is calm and everything is cool. The two go hand in hand. As Paul moves and as he preaches and as he goes from city to city, so the gospel goes with Paul, so the church grows and so the church evolves. I do think that as we look at the landscape of church in 2021, I do believe that we've gotten ourselves to a place where our lives are not necessarily always an indication of what's going on in church. We have somehow separated ourselves from church to an extent. We go to church, but are we the church? Do we carry the spirit of the church? Are we moving and breathing and making decisions as if the very life of the church depended upon us? I am challenged, even as your pastor, I am challenged when I read these verses and when I read these stories, because why? Because we cannot separate the church from us. Because the church is not a building. And my goodness, is this not a beautiful building? It is fantastic. It is phenomenal. We love it. We've even got a lake out there. It's great. I mean, I haven't seen any gators yet, but I'm sure they're out there. But it's great. But unfortunately, the church cannot be condensed to a place or a time or a building, but the church is us. It is living. It is breathing. It is as we go. It is as we live. It is as we have our being. That is what the church is all about. So as I take a look at the book of Acts, and as I take a look at Paul, um, the book of Acts really starts to act almost like a mirror. It is like you are staring into a mirror, and what this mirror is doing is it is not only giving you a reflection of yourself, but it is also showing you what the characteristics of a disciple should be. So today, as we sort of move our way through this book, what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at four characteristics of what a disciple should be, and then we're going to look at ourselves, and we're going to take it from there. Now, I want to pause here for a minute, because this is where there is a great conflict within Christianity. 
It is important that we hold up the standard of holiness. It is important that we look at who it is that we are and who it is that God calls us to be. But I think at times where there's a disconnect is, is I can't make myself through my own efforts, through my own willpower. I can't make myself who God is calling me to be. And it's, it's simple, really. It's because what God is calling me to be is impossible. Simple task, easy this morning. I'm putting before you a job that is impossible. You can't actually do it by yourself, right? You can't become the person God is calling you to become by yourself. I was thinking about it this morning, actually, as I was sitting here. Here we are in 2021, and God has called me into a space where I've got to be a public speaker. It's almost, it's bizarro, right? I can't go five minutes without saying the wrong thing. Now, I'm literally representing him through speaking. It's almost irresponsible from God, to be honest with you, right? Um, but he calls us into impossible situations so that we have no other choice but to lean upon him. So the transformation that we are looking at in our own lives cannot come from us. It has got to come from him. It has got to be a supernatural transformation. Zechariah 4 verse 6, um, beautiful portion of scripture. It says this, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This is not leadership coaching on a Sunday morning. This is not behavior modification classes on a Sunday morning. This is about his spirit transforming us from the inside out. What are we called to do in this process? We are called into a state of submission. We are called into a place where we let go of self as he starts to transform us from the inside out. As Christians sitting in this room today, we have God's word. We also have God's spirit. And those two together work so that we can experience the transformation we need to experience to become the people God has called us to be. So I say all that to say this to you. As we look at some of the characteristics in Paul's life this morning, we're going to go through four of them. Some of these you're going to look at and you're going to go, wow, that is very challenging. I'm a long way away from that. I don't want you to feel anxious about you. What I want you to do is, is I want you to put some of these things on your prayer list. Some of the characteristics of a disciple should not go onto your to-do list. It should go onto your prayer list. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to not just reveal to us the areas where we need to grow and where we need redemption, but let's ask Him to come and do a work on the inside of us. And as the Spirit starts to move, as He starts to reveal, as He starts to put things back together again, it is our job to then submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, as we become less, as He becomes more, you're going to wake up one morning and you're going to look a little bit different, right? you're going to start experiencing transformation in your life. So we're going to go on this little journey together. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Four things. You know, I actually think that as a church, we're, we're doing great. You guys are not going to struggle with this. So let's go. We're looking at Paul, some of the things that I see in Paul. And as I look at Paul, I see some of the things that I should have as a disciple in my life. First one this morning is a disciple has a new mindset. 
A disciple thinks differently. As followers of Jesus, we are not only called to believe differently, but we are called to think differently. We cannot think the way we used to think anymore. We cannot think the same way everybody else thinks. As Christians, as disciples, as people that have a revelation of Christ, of our future, of redemption, we cannot think the same way everybody else thinks. There has to be a transformation of our thinking and the mind. Romans 12 verses 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to think differently. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think that is where the battle is going to take place in our lives. The Holy Spirit is going to come and remove that heart made of stone from your life. He is going to replace it with a heart made of flesh. The Holy Spirit is going to breathe new life into you, but your mind is going to take a little bit of time to catch up with the redemptive work that the Holy Spirit has already done. He has done a finished work in your life, but now your thinking has to catch up with what He's actually already done and what He has already finished. It is important that we change the way we think and not simply the way we believe. I think one of the things that is so difficult for us in the year 2021, and as I read the book of Acts, I acknowledge that there were challenges for the church back then that were more radical than some of the challenges we're facing now, but we are facing certain things as a people now that is more challenging, arguably, than what the church has ever had to face, and I don't know that the battle for your mind has ever been as tough as it is right now. There is an absolute onslaught on the go for your mind. You're being bombarded with information all day long from everywhere. And the problem is, is that the amount of worldly information you are feasting on does not even come close for most of us to the amount of godly information we are feasting on. Have you ever heard the term, you are what you eat, right? This is why I look like a hamburger. You are what you eat, right? So if you're constantly feasting off of the information from the world, you're constantly on Facebook, you're constantly on news channels, you're constantly on social media, you're constantly out there, it's going to become almost impossible for you to transform your mind to what the Word of God is saying to you. Um, this is why we have so many Bible studies this is why we are so committed to getting people plugged into God's Word, because sanctification is all about that renewing of the mind. I remember a couple of years ago when we were blessed enough to have grandparents that lived fairly close, we would send the kids over to the grandparents' house, and it was absolutely fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic until they came back home, though, right? Because grandparents just go, it's party time, USA, right? I'm not disciplining these kids. They're going to come over. They're going to have uh, sugar. They're going to have the time of their lives. So you're trying to set rhythms in your house. You're trying to set patterns in your house. You're trying to get your kids to think in a certain way. And then they come home from uh, Nana and Papa's house and it's rainbows, lollipops. And, you know, it's like they're just ready for a party. And you're like, we have to reset the way you think a little bit. Um, you've got to actually go to bed at a certain hour 
And what's happening is for some of us is we're living at Nana and Papa's house. I, I just realized that in this particular illustration, I connected Nana and Papa's house to evil worldly thinking and behavior. Um, that was a bit of a misfire this morning, but I believe you get the point. So, so let's move on quickly. Hallelujah. Um, come with me to Acts 20, verses 22 to 24, and we're going to move through here. We're moving now through this book of Acts. And again, like I said, we keep on seeing what Paul goes through and what Paul does. But watch this next portion of Scripture. And what I, wanna, what I want you to see here is, is look at Paul's mindset. Look at how this guy thinks about stuff. So it says here, verse 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in town after town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions await me. But I consider my life of no value to me. If only I may finish my course and complete the ministry I've received from the Lord Jesus, the ministry of testifying the good news of God's grace. I, um, I was struck this week by this one little word here where it says, but I consider my life of no value. What this speaks to me is, is what this shows me is, is that Paul is being led by the Spirit but his mind is also playing a role in the way he moves and lives and makes decisions. And the Bible tells us here that Paul has had to consider this. He's had to think about it. He's had to change his mindset. And in his thinking, Paul thinks that his own life is worth nothing, essentially, but he lives for the cause of the gospel. Unbelievable. I would say to you today that as I think about what the difference is between old mindset thinking and Holy Spirit thinking, I would say to you that it comes down to motive. What is the motivation behind the way you are thinking? When the motive behind your thoughts are selfish motives, I can guarantee you that 90% of the time that is the old mindset speaking to you. But when our motives are selfless motives, I promise you that 90% of the time, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. As we look at Paul, we see one thing happening consistently over and over and over again. Every single time, Paul has the opportunity to make a decision for his own comfort, for his own safety, for his own future. Paul will veto that decision in order to help somebody else experience the gospel every single time without fault. You see, Paul understands that real life, real prosperity is not found in you trying to build yourself up, but real life is found in playing a role in others experiencing life. That is where life is found. It is when we open up our hands and we let go of ourself so that others can experience life, so that others can experience the gospel. It is in that that we actually experience life. It is so funny how that works. I was listening to a podcast this week and they had a guy on the show who uh, is a socialite. He is a millionaire. He used to be a poker player. Uh, this guy is just all about self-indulgence. He's all about pleasure. Um, he has done it all. Everything you can imagine, he's done. And he's sitting on this podcast, and they're asking him a bunch of questions about how exciting his life is. 
And he says this, he says, you know, before we go any further in this interview, I want to say as an expert in this field that pleasure um, will not produce joy in your life. And it's sort of this random turn in the podcast. And then he goes, I want to say this to you because I believe I'm the most qualified, one of the most qualified people in the world to speak about this. And everybody's just like, okay, how so? He's like, because I have ridden the pleasure train as far as you can ride it. I rode it beyond the last station. I rode it to a place where there were no more tracks. I rode it to a place where the train wouldn't go anymore. I took it as far as that could go. And when I got there, I experienced loneliness and emptiness and no joy, right? It's not about us trying to fulfill ourselves all the time, but it's about us living for others. Shockingly enough, he never actually says on the podcast what the key to joy is, but we know what it is. The key to joy is living a selfless life. Uh, I'll say one last thing here until I move on to our, our next point. Um, but I remember when I first was saved, um, I was in my backyard and I was spending time with the Lord and I was praying and I, I, I asked the Lord such a weird question. I said to him, Father, tell me, show me, reveal to me, what is a prosperous life? Here I am, I'm 20 years old, I'm about to embark on a hopefully 60, 70 year journey. What should I do? What should I pursue? What should I aim my life at? And I felt the Lord say to me that real prosperity is not found in you accomplishing your dreams. Real prosperity is found in you helping others accomplish theirs. Because when you get to the end of your life, you will look back at many lives for full dreams as opposed to simply your own. We have to change our mindsets and allow the Holy Spirit to do so. Next one, as we move on here, things that we see in Paul. A disciple keeps their yes on the table. A disciple keeps their yes on the table. Uh, come with me to Acts 21 as we keep moving 10 to 14. Listen to what happens here. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Okay, so Paul is being warned by a prophet that if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be captured, beaten, you're going to face persecution. Listen to Paul's response to this. When he heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Who is this guy? What is he drinking in his coffee in the mornings? When he would not be dissuaded, he gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Um, I, I said this, I believe, last week, and I'll say this again. This is why I am not a character in the book of Acts because um, if I was ready to go to Jerusalem and some prophet walked in and did this cool vibey little illustration with my belt, I would have been like, well, that's it. We're going to Waffle House, cancel Jerusalem, not going there. We were just warned. Paul says, I'm going. You can't dissuade me. Um, I know what I'm called to do. I read this a while back and I've actually got a sermon on this in particular but I want to mention this to you again. Uh, I, I think this is quite fascinating, and George will correct me if I'm wrong on this. I really hope I'm correct on this. 
I'm going to dive into U.S. Army stuff now, which I'm an absolute professional. Um, but, but this is what I read, and I believe this is accurate. Um, the code of the U.S. fighting force, don't know if you've heard of this, is a code of conduct that is an ethics guide and a United States Department of Defense directive consisting of six articles to members of the United States Armed Forces addressing how they should act in combat when they must evade capture, resist while a prisoner, or escape from the enemy. And essentially what was happening here is, is that they realized that it is too late to answer certain questions when the question arrives. <laughs> certain questions you need to have an answer for long before the question comes up. Because if you're going to wait for the moment to answer the question, life will answer the question for you. So here we go. And what they did is they put together six articles. This is like a code of conduct for those that are in the armed forces. And I'm not going to read all six to you. They are incredible. So by the way, but I'll read you the first one. Listen to what it says here. Article one, I am an American fighting in the forces which guard my country and our way of life. I am prepared to give my life in their defense. That's the first one. First code of conduct, it's actually a statement of identity. I am an American, that's who I am. I am on this mission to defend our way of life. And if the moment comes where it's my life or my country's freedom, I will gladly give my life, right? It is a code of conduct. I wanna, I want to say to you that as Christians, we need to have a code of conduct. There needs to be certain things in your life. There are certain yeses on the table that you need to live by. And if you don't know what that looks like for you, well, then I'm going to encourage that you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you your code of conduct. Um, I was thinking about this in the week, but I'm going to tell you right now that if you're going to find yourself at your girlfriend's house, um, at 11.56 on a Friday night and she's in the living room and she leaves and says to you, I'm going to go slip into something a little bit more comfortable. In the next three minutes, if that's going to be your moment where you're going to decide whether I want to be celibate until marriage or not, you're going to lose that fight. You're going to lose that battle. You need to have made that decision long before you showed up at her house 10 o'clock on Friday night. Are you with me? You need to know the answers to certain things before they pop up in your life because if you don't, the devil will answer you for you. We know by God's word that there are certain things we're called into as he starts to change our mindsets, as he starts to give us mission, as he starts to give us purpose. It is important that we know what our non-negotiables are. Um, I said this in your conviction gives trust a target. Conviction gives trust a target. There are going to be times where you're called into compromising situations and it's going to be very, very difficult situations. But this is why we trust the Holy Spirit. This is why we cry out to God. Again, this is not by my might or my strength, but allow your convictions to give your faith and your trust a target. Let's move on here quickly this morning. A disciple keeps on telling their story. A disciple keeps on telling their story. 
In Acts 22, Paul is about to be arrested again, and he asks if he can address the crowd. Paul says, listen, can I just get up here and say a couple of things before you arrest me? And I'm going to read a little bit of what Paul says to you. Um, You know this, actually, because we went through this earlier in the sermon series. But listen to what Paul would say to the crowd. Verse 6, he says, About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My compassion, my companion saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. And you can carry on there. And Paul continues to give his testimony time and time again. We see Paul sharing the story of his faith. One of the things that you've heard me say from this platform numerous times is that as disciples, we are called to be witnesses. We are called to testify of the goodness and the glory of God. That is a part of the calling of a disciple. But sometimes that can feel very overwhelming. The truth is we haven't all been to seminary. The truth is we're not all pastors. The truth is maybe we're not all in our walk where we would hope to be in our walk. But here's what you do have. You might not have a degree in biblical studies, but you have a story of redemption. If Jesus is in your life and if you believe in him, that means that there was a time that you were dead and he came and rose you to life. You have a miraculous, spectacular story. And in order for you to have an impact on others, all you need to do is simply tell your story. I, uh, I know that for some of us, we've heard some of these testimonies. Every once in a while, you'll have somebody at church and they'll get up and they'll share their testimony and the testimony will go something to the tune of, I used to be a satanic priest, then I was an atheist, um, you know, then I blew up a small country and then God sort of revealed himself to me in a vision four times and here I am today sharing my testimony with you and I now run five orphanages, right? And we look at that and we go, okay, so am I even a Christian? I don't actually even know what to do with that. There's a lot there. If that's his testimony, maybe it means my testimony is not as powerful, is not as special or not as significant. Every single testimony is a supernatural, miraculous testimony of God raising someone from the dead. I don't care how small or how insignificant you might believe your story is, but it is a spectacular, miraculous story And God will bring people upon your path in your life that needs to hear your story. Your story is the one that will resonate. Your story is the one that has the keys to unlock whatever it is that they are going through in their life. Lamentations 3 verses 22 to 23, it says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. A different version says your mercies are brand new every single morning. Yes, the Lord has rescued us and He has taken us out of judgment and we have an eternal life because of Him. But you know what I've seen in my life? He rescues me every day. Every day He rescues me. Every day He pulls me out of trouble. Every day the Lord does something good and spectacular in my life. We have stories to tell. 
I'll tell you one um, <laughs> that what, that happened yesterday, actually. I took uh, my daughter to the beach. We were going to have like a little beach party. She was invited there to be with a bunch of other girls. She was super excited about going to the beach up until the moment we got to the beach when she saw a group of other middle school girls. She got afraid and scared and don't want to be there anymore. I got afraid and scared and don't want to be there anymore. Um, we were both feeling anxious because we were surrounded by middle school girls and she felt kind of insecure and she didn't really want to be there. And then she said, can we drive back home? And I said to her, look, if you wanted to not come to this thing, we should have not come at all. But to get out of the car, show yourself and then leave, that is social suicide, baby girl. Uh, we're going to have to push through now and make this thing happen. And it just so happened that they had surfing lessons there on uh, New Smyrna Beach. So there we go on our surfboards and she hops on and she goes and she goes. We've done a little bit of surfing in South Africa. So she's one step ahead of the pack. I'm like, listen, nothing's cooler than surfing. You're going to be the coolest kid around after this session. And she gets onto a board and she takes the last wave. Never say this is the last wave or the last ball or the last. Have you noticed that it's always the last thing where everything falls to pieces? Just take your bat and your ball and go home. Don't announce one more, right? Never do that. So she takes the last wave. And as she takes this wave, there's a shock, an actual shock that pops up in front of her, right? So this thing is about the size of my German shepherd. So we're not talking jaws. But I mean, it's still, it's, you know, it's a baby shark, 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 baby shark. I mean, she would have, I mean, she would have had a boo-boo if this thing bit her for sure, right? So the shark is sort of making its way. She's on the board. So she's like this and it's just perfect, right? It's just it's like perfect. I'm just like the perfect intersection. They are going to meet perfectly. And she did. She surfed into the shark. She jumps off the board. Everybody's yelling and screaming. She runs to the beach. She's petrified. And she does this thing where she's like, ah! And the minute she realizes that, hey, I still have both legs, and I just surfed into a shark, she was like, yeah! <laughs> like an army of middle school girls were around her. And she was just like, yeah. She started smoking. Uh, she's like, yeah. They call me the shark tamer back south. You know what I mean? You know, you're lucky to be my friend. But it was just this cool moment. This this amazing moment, right? Where it's like, she's safe. The shark is safe. Everybody's safe. She's having the time of her life. Here's this cool story. I just, I see the Lord working in these ways in my life all the time. He does these amazing things. We have stories to tell. Let's make sure that we tell those stories as he is faithful. Last one, and this is the one that really challenges me the most of all of them, is a disciple keeps being faithful. A disciple keeps being faithful. If there is one thing that I am just absolutely astounded by when I watch Paul and when I watch the other disciples is just their ability to remain faithful even in the face of what feels like failure even in the face of what feels like tremendous persecution, these guys just keep on going. And that is because Paul fundamentally understood that faithfulness will ultimately lead to fruitfulness. Faithfulness will ultimately lead to fruitfulness. When I speak about faithfulness, though, I am not speaking about being comfortable with complacency. There's a difference. Some of us have fallen into rhythms and into patterns where we have become comfortable with complacency. 
We're in bad habits. We're in bad rhythms. Um, we make bad decisions. Things are not in our life what they should be in our life. And then when we're questioned on it, we turn around and we go, well, you know, I'm just being faithful. Yeah, you're being faithful in the wrong things. Um, when we speak about faithfulness that will lead to fruitfulness, we are talking about faithfulness that is being obedient to God's leading in spite of the results. There's a difference between the two. And there will be times and there will be moments where God is leading us into situations where the immediate results are not there. But as we remain faithful, He will do amazing things in us and through us. Um, last little thing that I want to share here from Paul in the book of Acts as we go all the way to Acts 24. And what happens is, is Paul gets arrested again. And at this point in the game, as Paul gets arrested, he actually is left in prison for two years uh, in this moment, in the book of Acts. And I think the one thing that keeps it moving and keeps it going is, is Paul has faced a lot of persecution. Paul's gone through a lot of things, but it's been very up-tempo up until now. All of a sudden, you're in the middle of everything going on. Paul gets arrested, and he sort of just gets left and forgotten in prison for two years. I can't imagine what's going on in Paul's head at this point. I can't imagine the sense of hopelessness, the sense of, did I fail? Is this still working? Is the church still growing? What is happening out there while I'm having to wait for two years? Look at what happens as Paul remains faithful. Acts 25, verses 13 to 15, there's actually a change in leadership that happens. And as this change in leadership happens, Paul gets presented this amazing opportunity. Acts 25, 13 to 15, a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here from Felix left as a prisoner. So Felix used to be the governor. He's come and he's gone and Festus is the new guy. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. Acts 25 verses 22. Then Agrippa the king said to Festus, I would like to hear this man for myself. And he replied, tomorrow you will hear him. We move forward with the story here. Paul has been in prison for two years. For all counts, it feels like he's been left behind. He's been forgotten. Now, all of a sudden, Paul gets yanked out of his prison cell, um, out of the blue, and now he's going to get the opportunity to share the gospel with the king. And I want you to see what happens here. This is absolutely spectacular. Acts 26, 22 to 31. This is quite a lengthy little portion, but listen to this. But God has helped me to this very day. This is Paul speaking. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing but what, beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and that as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time 
You can persuade me to become a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. And in this moment, Paul goes from sitting in a jail cell, feels like the whole cause is lost, and God arranges things in such a way that now he gets to testify before the king, and Paul gets so close to having this king become a Christian. Incredible, absolutely incredible. Our faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness if we stay on the course. Last thing I want to touch on, and then we will close this morning. Question that comes to my mind is, what drives a man like this? Who carries on like this? How can Paul be the man that he is? And I believe Paul actually answers that question for us in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 15. Listen to what Paul says. He says, for it's Christ's love that compels us. It's Jesus' love that drives us, transforms us, changes us, mobilizes us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I'd like for us to stand in this room today. You know, we look at the Apostle Paul and he's had a change of mindset. He is faithful. He keeps his yes on the table. He will share his story no matter what the circumstances are. Paul is the ultimate example of what it is God calls us into. And then Paul says, you know what it is? You know what the key to all of this is? The secret in the source? It's the love of Christ. It's not me. It's got nothing to do with me. It's not how great I am or how educated I am or how driven I am. But no, it is the love of Jesus that transforms me. It is the love of Christ that makes me the man that I need to be. So this morning, as we close this sermon, as we sit and as we think and as we ponder on some of the things that might be lacking in our life or some of the things that we'd like to implement in our life, the key is not found in your strength or your ability, not by your might, not by your strength, but by His Spirit, says the Lord. And Paul then clarifies it for us and says, it is because of the love of Christ. It is God's love for us that empowers us to love Him and to love others selflessly. So Father, this morning, I want to pray for everybody in this place. Lord, I want to thank You that wherever there are gaps in our lives, wherever there is brokenness, wherever there are things that aren't as they should be, I thank You, Father, this morning for Your incredible love. I thank You, Lord, that nothing can separate us from Your love. Father, may we experience your sacrifice. May we experience your redemption. I thank you, Lord, that it is through your love that you will heal us, you will drive us, you will show us, you will give us purpose. I thank you, Father, for your love that never fails. I thank you, Lord, for your love that is free today. It is accessible to every single one of us. If you're in this room today and as you were listening to the sermon today, you thought to yourself, man, I just really believe, I really feel like my moment has come and 
I want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to become a disciple. I know things are not right in my life. I know things are not as they should be. I want to receive this free gift of grace. If that's you today, then I want to pray for you right now. So let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for all those in this room today that really are being drawn by you. All of those that are being redeemed by you, saved by you. I thank you, Father, for all those that are experiencing your love right now in this room as we speak. Father, I thank you that you rescue them. I thank you that you connect them to our church family. I thank you, Lord, that you do what only you can do. I thank you that you are faithful to complete the work that you've started in every single one of them. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. If I prayed that prayer for you this morning and you prayed that prayer with me, then we want to give you a free gift as you go. We want to give you a Bible this morning. We want to connect with you. So as you leave the doors here this morning, please just check in with us. We want to give you something as you leave because we want to walk a road with you. We want to disciple you. Well, church, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Love you guys. Have a fantastic week. May the Lord bless you, keep you, and shine His face upon you. Amen.